This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, today we are going to be talking about um, our our next V20 title, uh, The Anarchs Unbound. Um, Unleashed. And uh, b- before we do that, um, it's been a while since we've answered any like real questions. And this one is uh, sort of like Vampire the Masquerade adjacent. And I figured, um, you know, one good question is as good as another. Not everything has to be directly about vampire books, right, Bob? You got it. Um, but it is about vampires in a different way so um anyways let's just cut to the quick um this question uh slash comment is from aaron mclaughlin uh and he says hey nate and bob i'm a storyteller a player and collector of nearly all things white wolf since the late 90s i recently discovered your podcast and love every minute of it thanks for sharing your experiences and thoughts on this beloved game you guys are clearly boss level storytellers that's a cool comment thank you bob is flexing uh, and it's great to hear people who know their game uh, talk shop. Keep doing your thing. <laughs> Quick question. In episode 13, Bob mentions a, mentions a vampire anthology he has that is concerned with various regional vampire folklore. I'd love to know what this source is and any other material you might recommend. I'm some 50 pages of notes into writing a book about the history and cultural geography of vampires as a passion project and would love uh, expert opinions on other sources in or out of game that you think should be part of my literature review. Thanks. So a couple of things to unpack here, Bob, real quick. Yep. One, um, this individual is referencing an episode that is, I would say about two years ago. (laughs) So we have that. It's the Wayback Machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's cool to find out that you talked about a vampire book back in uh, episode 13. It's like rediscovering things you've said for the first time, right? <laughs> it is. It's, it blindsides you, honestly. Right. Um, admittedly, when you sent that to me and I, and I got to look at it, I was like going, what do I have sitting on my shelf? And I'm looking at the gaming <laughs> shelf, right? Remember, <laughs> right. I have 17 boxes. And by boxes, if you pick... Uh, uh, the the paper boxes that companies yeah, use right for their printers right seventeen boxes worth of those and uh, oh and another four of the just big dumb kidnap children boxes not that I know <laughs> what that's for but you know what I mean we have uh, that's that's what the two bookshelves of nothing but gaming books right so when I got that I was like I do have a folklore book don't I I said oh yeah ran in my room got it had a nice flowery cover on it and what have you and I forgot the name again. It's called Vampires, the Myth, uh, the Myths, Legends, and the Lore, and that is by Aubrey Sherman. Um, that is the book that uh, um, Bob was referencing as far as that one's concerned. I have a book, too, that um, this book kind of like, at a very young age, I, you know, I was always into horror when I was a kid, and I started to get into like the different types of quote-unquote monsters, vampires, zombies, things like that, um, at the public library. And the book that I came across that kind of um, um, was good enough for me to shoplift from a library. I'll just (laughs) go on record right now and state that I straight stole the son of a bitch from a library. I think the statute of limitations is up. Um, As as a child. 
<laughs> right. As a 14, uh, 13-year-old child, 14-year-old, maybe older, um, but definitely underage. Um, you know, I was one of those kids. I believe um, you were working for the Fourth Reich by then. Wasn't that in? <laughs> I'm teasing. There was no Reich. There was no Reich. No Reichs. No Reichs. All Reichs are gone. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, this book is called The Complete Vampire Companion, Legend and Lore of the Living Dead, which is interesting because they're almost like the same freaking title. Um, And this this book uh, was by Rosemary Ellen Gilly. And um, this book kind of helped introduce like gothic culture to me as well. Uh, because I was not familiar with it. Like, um, you know, at 13 years old, you see like, you know, people dressed in black or whatever. It was a lot more popular back then. But um, yeah, this book came out in 94. So I like this book is kind of it's it is about like the lore and legends, but it's more about like vampires and pop culture and uh, like in culture today as of 1994 so like this book is really outdated and like opening it up i'm like oh yeah this this book is like (laughs) this is is a little ridiculous but um for the purposes of of you know a a look at like culture that in the 90s and what vampire culture was then it's a good book um so yeah i like those are a couple did you have any other like books that you you could think of that i can can tell uh, you that there are a ton of these books on the internet right by now mm-hmm. thanks to true blood and uh and things of that nature underworld you name it there's it's mainstream right it's like zombies right you could spin anywhere and get a zombie survival guide at this point uh where that was awesome when you first saw the original well same thing with vampire but the cool thing about the vampire books is you'll find a commonality and what i mean by that is you can always know an author is full of shit based on the fact that they don't keep the common tropes Right, mm-hmm. they don't they don't do their research to see what goes on, and and one of them is is understanding the folklore of Eastern Europe, right. where a lot of the big myths come from that are used in Hollywood. If they don't include those at all and just like go off on some tangent about like like Bram Stoker's Dracula was the only one in the first one, well, don't buy it. Right, that guy is literally whatever they're doing. They did do their homework. You know, it's it's a good thing to note. But what I can tell you is that it's always a good idea if they reference the media that goes with it, not just the folklore, because it's a better read for you. Right. Like, I, like I find, I know you and I both are, are movie-centric. We, we enjoy those very much, yeah. but also we, we enjoy reading. And it gave the hybrid method is the best for research because when you get to a chapter that's like, um, refer to a vampire in Brooklyn to understand that this type of vampire was a, taken from an African myth of a vampire that did this, that, and the other thing, you, pause. Right. You know, if you have access to that movie get that movie, check it out and go right. back to it. Because at that point, it's like you're attending a personal lecture discussion with the author to get where they're coming from. And what this will do for you is you have memory to attach to what you're researching. So later on, when you play the vampire game and you start getting ideas, this stuff is just popping off in your head easily uh, for purposes of memory recall and enjoyment. So on that note, just as a real quick, like before we get into the review, um, are there any, uh, we, we've probably mentioned this before, but again, we like to assume this is somebody's first episode, you know, every time we do one, um, are there any, uh, are there any like fiction books, stories that, um, I know for you, for movies, like here's a little insight 
into Bob. Bob doesn't like to binge watch the same movie over and over again. Um, that's one of those interesting little details. that's different about our personality. You know, I'm the type of person where like, you know, every couple of months I'll throw in the same movies and rewatch them. And, um, Bob is very much like a one and done type of guy. Yeah, it was a good movie. I liked it. Let's move on. But let's talk a little bit about fiction. Are there any like fiction books, like vampire novels that are not necessarily white wolf related that you like to go to for inspiration or just like stuck with you that you think people should read? Um, Not even necessarily to like get a feel for the world of darkness, but just like good vampire fiction. There certainly is. Uh, Brian Lumley's uh, Necroscope. I'll never forget. It's off the top of my head. Uh, that mm-hmm. book fascinated me. Um, there's uh, two characters in it. One is Boris Dragosani, yeah. who is by far the best villain. I know I've talked about a couple times on here. Uh, but the protagonist is a guy named Hen- uh, Henry Keo. Mm-hmm. And Henry Keo is uh, well, what a necroscope is, which is what Keo is in this, in this book. They're a psychic. They have the ability to go and not only speak and talk to the dead, but the time they spend with the dead, they actually learn the skills and knowledge of the person they're talking to. Yep. And they do it subconsciously. And so they do a cool thing in the book where Henry gets chased, you know, in a kind of a cold world book is what this is. But he gets chased into a into a San, like a San Diego or San Francisco cemetery. I forget which one. And these guys like damn near killed him in the bar, like punched him once or twice. He didn't know how to fight. Well, he runs into the cemetery. Well, when they catch up with them, they go to jump him again and he whoops the shit out of him <laughs> with like like skill unseen reflexes sharp as attack. And when, you know, it sort of like talks about what's one of the panel ways that are there, it's, it's where Bruce Lee was buried. <laughs> right. It was when I was like, oh man, I am a God fan of Bruce Lee. So this is that they had me hooked. It wasn't just that though. His antithesis, right. The, the, the Yang, or excuse me, the into his Yang uh, was, uh, was Boris Dragosani, who I loved even more. Boris was a guy who was a spy <clears throat> and he hears of this power. And they want him to obtain it. Right. They send him to figure out where he got it and he's to get it. When he goes to get it, he comes across an entity, right? Which they're called the ramp, the Whamfrey. Or in this case, I think it was just referred to as the master. Or he just thought he had a bad dream. And this is where the vampire is introduced into it. And what happens is this vampire is going to kill him, but then stops because Boris kind of, hey, I'm trying to do this. At, I need to get this guy's right. secrets. And the Whamfrey's like, I, I could show that to you. I know how to do that. He goes, well, how do you do it? And, and he tells him. And Boris, um, like the very next thing is this graphic depiction of him being in on a slab with a corpse. And he has to defile the corpse to get the knowledge from it. He has to feel their viscera on his skin. He has to, he has to have sex with them and develop a bond with this corpse. But in so doing, he like almost becomes them just like Henry Keogh does. Except obviously, Boris's method is way more twisted. And... I like that dark twisted. Right. Well, I, I can tell you, uh, it's, it's interesting to me and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's interesting to me how, uh, we kind of both, uh, like I read those books and I was like, I was completely hooked. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we came about them independently in our own childhoods. Like, you know, the <laughs> necroscope was something that I read, um, you know, again, just like, kind of a horror fan and like anything I could find in the library that was horror related. I got I grounded up and read. reading mine. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Cause, um, like there were certain movies that were off limits, like certain, like, you know, certain things 
I was not really allowed necessarily like to watch, but books, I, I it was like, like if I was reading it, my parents didn't care what I was reading. As long as it wasn't porn, they were like, <laughs> you know, and like, obviously I wouldn't walk in the house with like porn in my hand, like, but any kind of book, like they just didn't, you know, they were happy I was reading. So like they didn't, yeah, they didn't, they, they didn't take any interest in it other than like, you know, I remember when I first started reading Stephen King and they, they were kind of like, I think they were a little confused. Like, wow, it's like a very big book for you to be reading. But like, you know, that's just, I don't even remember how I got into it, but that was just what, you know, I was into just horror. So just a, just a side note, cause Stephen King, we share uh, on, a, on a lot of cross levels. Um, my grandmother told me a story about this scary clown. When she was a kid, like a scary thing and a scared. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah, what book? She goes, oh, it's it's called it. Just, you know, I still haven't finished the book. It got to me. Okay. She leaves. What did I do? You went and found it. I snuck into her room and she tore the cover off so she couldn't be found easily. Like you had to read. And what did I do? Oh, this book's big. And I started reading it. She was absolutely right. I'm like down here where the clown bites somebody's armpit into whatever, you know, bad scenario. I had to ask her about why were people beating up another guy for being in love with another guy. I don't understand. And she mm-hmm. was like, because those people are stupid. Da, da, da. I said, yeah, but why'd the clown eat him then? And she was like, the clown's not a good guy. Right. <laughs> Leave the book alone. Okay. I'll put it back. Right. Well, I actually, uh, I never read it when I was a kid. Um, I, I, I think I was like more interested in like the more obscure stuff. That's like typical of me though. I was like, Oh, I don't want to read the mainstream stuff. Like I didn't read the stand until I was in my twenties. Cause I was just like, I don't care. It's too, it's just like a stupid big book. I don't want to read it. You didn't read the stand because you took a stand. Yeah. <laughs> so it was stand sitting down. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, those are those are some things like Necroscope is a big influence. And there's a ton of them, and they're they're actually surprisingly hard to find at a lot of bookstores recently. I wham uh, free. I, you could do a f- online like anything. Yeah, yeah, Tons right. Of them. Yeah, the internet Tons is a thing. So yeah, and a paperback. I've seen them for as low as a dollar. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. I couldn't like like around here at least like trying to go to the used bookstores. I was looking for um necroscope books and just couldn't find anything by lumley at all so um but yeah those so those are those are some uh very common pieces of of fiction or non-fiction um if you can find this complete vampire companion i don't know if you'll still be able to find it out in a bookstore but it's it's great for the humor purposes it's got like a picture of a steak covered in blood on the front cover of it it's it's pretty it's pretty hilarious um but it's pretty hilarious because it's a book from fucking 94 so yeah um, get, get, give it a look see an entire book series if you want it attached and tethered uh to be not only a, a good read but also be more relevant to a lot of the themes and and usage of vampire the masquerade anything by queen anne attached to queen anne I can't even say. Yeah, Queen Anne, this fake vampire queen. <laughs> Anne Don't Rice. look for her. Anne Rice is what I meant distinctly. What I meant was Anne Rice. I mean, I, I guess that was like a kind of a Freudian slip, like right. kind of the queen of vampires. It's it's because uh, to me she's super influential. Like I I got Masquerade first, but then started reading her novels and had to read them all because right. it just it just felt like they were taken. I don't know how the two didn't meet up. To, to figure something out, but it's it's definitely uh, her world 
and her words breathe life to the game material and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with uh, Anne Rice's material insofar as like I've seen Interview with a Vampire. Like I'm, I'm a movie guy. I've seen yeah. uh, Queen of the Damned, but I've actually never read any Anne Rice material. So um, that's something I'll probably have to add to the reading list as well because I'm just not I, I like I'm familiar with her world, but because it's so ubiquitous, it's so like ever present in what we do which is vampire the masquerade like if you read that first louisiana book like it's obvious they're trying to like tell an ann rice tale in that book and like obviously like ann rice does like interview with a vampire hello so um yeah Uh, like the armand there's a book called red and gold Mm -hmm. which is fantastic that she does in there it's that that's when you get to ancient vampires right it's about like a roman vampire um i believe there's one just called pandora and that's another one where it's a strong female character through the centuries and how she goes from being a woman to where it doesn't matter that she's a woman, right? That's how it goes because after a while, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where, it, I mean, she had a unique feeding method too. Um, she used to just crush the heart as she fed on their neck. I, oh. I, and, and, when, and when I read it, I sat there and went, that is the most graphic, horrific way to do it. But it also screws up anybody trying to say, oh, a vampire did it. You know, right. think about it. it. Explains blood loss, what have you. But how horrific is that? It's like a bit some, well, I don't know how it happened. But the point is, it's the insights to the characters. And every character is distinctive and unique. And it's right. very hard for any writer uh, to write in their voice and have different perspectives of, of different characters. You know what I mean? Yep. And absolutely. She's able to do it. So um, awesome. Awesome. Uh, let's. Uh... Let's move on. Yes. Um, as some would complain, we're 17 minutes in and we still haven't done the review. <laughs> get back to it. <laughs> so anyways, this week we uh, we get to explore the V20 Anarchs Unbound, which um, is, for all intents and purposes, a modern age Vampire the Masquerade source book for the Anarchs. That's exactly um, what it is. Yeah. I, 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 having looked at this book, I was like, huh. You know, I start to speculate. Like, were they planning on doing, like, a Cam and Sabat guide like you know, like this? And I, I feel like that might have been on the pipeline before the whole, like, realization of V5. But I have no way of knowing that for sure. Well, um, it, it makes sense because this book really does lay some seeds. Right. Right. So what's going on? And obviously they would have referenced this material before launching V5. Right. right. Got to know the current and how do we pitch that gap. But they have a whole entire section of telling you like, hey, you may have noticed that there's a lot of stuff that wasn't in this book. And here's that stuff that's not in this book because right. this book is not about Gehenna. Right. And I, I have to say, looking at this book and seeing like the inclusion of that where they go, these are the things that happened in the Gehenna that we did not include because we we skipped that shit we literally went over it so um yeah i i thought that uh so so basically let's start at the beginning what is anarchs unbound bob uh it's not just simply an anarch book right no i mean well well yeah i mean it's an anarch book but it's one that's going to tell you uh the origins right start Mm -hmm. to finish and i feel they did a brilliant job of doing that Mm-hmm. And it's from the perspective, well, of Anarch. So right. you get that culture piece, again, telling their history, which fits in. And especially for you vampire aficionados, you're going to sit here and go, that detail's not quite right. 
Of course. That's that's not the whole <laughs> picture, right? You're going to do that throughout the read, but then you're like, ah, Anarchs, man. Right. This, this is how they do it. And that's what's gorgeous about this book. Um, well, one of one of the many things I did, I did. You got to know this. I'm not a fan of Anarchs. That's <laughs> right, just that's right. just me. I'm not a fan of Anarchs. This um, is our technically this is our fourth Anarch book review. Right. So Bob has said that a number of times. He's not a fan of Anarchs. Continue. So, and <laughs> others to discuss that. But the point is that this one um, at least made them make more cohesive sense. Uh, some one of the major pieces I had issue with Anarchs about is that well, what's their real history? It was all kind of vague. Like they they did something on this date was when they were formed, but what led up to it? Why would right. they do that? Where was the political idea to become the Anarchs they are? How do I how do I buy into what you're talking about if there's nothing to show me what it would be successful in? And they did something most interesting to me. They actually used Carthage in here as being the first origins of actual anarchy. Of, of that being its own purpose, right? They cite that when Carthage got dismantled, that is when they decided if we can't have it, then nobody can type mentality. Right. And I don't know, that hit me, that hit me in the feels. It was like, <laughs> that makes sense, you know? It's the Bruja's baby, and you wreck right. the Bruja's baby. What's the most largest clan in Anarch movement? The Bruja. The Bruja. Yeah. So, um, you know, that kind of uh, brings us to what we do here. We kind of like do this step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter review. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Like, the first chapter here is the history of the Anarch movement, right? From the perspective of an Anarch. And let's establish that. Um, we've we've read a, a newer Anarch book recently, and it's like 100 different perspectives from 100 different Anarchs. This is kind of like a very concise very to the point chapter about the history of the Anarch movement. For those of you who are familiar with the Anarchs, there's not going to be a lot of new information here. However, I feel like it's stated in a way that's much more concise and to the point. And that's what I really like about it. Um, I feel like it's, it's well-written and it's, it's obviously written from the perspective of people who know the material well and can retell it in such a way that it's not ridiculous. It's not long winded. It's not overly, you know, detailed, but it gives you like the meat and potatoes of it. It does. I mean, that's, and that's what you need from it. Um, what's meat and potatoes. Well, if I want to run a game and it's going to be based on when nine uh, 11 happened, wait a minute, mm-hmm. there's something in a vampire book about nine 11 that didn't cause a social uproar and a demand for the book to be taken down? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, there is. Because yes. they do it in a very tasteful way. 9-11 right. had nothing to do with the vampires, but it shows you how they were able to manipulate the fallback and uh, the fallout of right. 9-11 to great advantage. How? I'll give you a little snippet. The Venture clan are such insidious bastards, and the camera as a whole, that when they started coming out with the Homeland Security Protocol that allows them to override uh, the individual... Um, liberties that people had in the name of safety of the nation. Yeah, the Patriot Act. They jumped behind it, right? So that when the Patriot Act was formed, they already had things in place to violate personal liberties to keep more contacts on enemies, right? And to be able to right. utilize that fulcrum to great and to great effective control. I think what we're what we've established in this chapter is that there is a precedent for vampires to ride the events of human history 
not right. to cause the events of human history. You know, they talk about when the towers fell and there was a uh, like uh, Ventru who had havens in the tower or, uh, you know, a, a, a brood of Nosferatu who lived in the tunnels below it and how like, oh, well, they're dead. Like that shit happens, but not that they caused it. You know, that that's right. the that's the thing here. And I want to beat around the bush like this is kind of interesting that we're doing this Anarch book so so close after the most recent Anarch book that came out. But I think that there is a distinctly different tonal choice. In this book. And I say unfortunate. That there's such right. a, because this is the better book. Right. No, no. I mean, let's get that out of the way right now. Um, I, I you know, I was kind of waiting to hear what Bob's opinion was, because you know, these are books that we we've read independent of one another. This is a significantly better book. Like top to bottom. Um, the most recent Anarch book, uh, I don't think even holds a candle to this book in, in the sense of like a game book or just like how the material is written or how, what choices they made. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here that, um, from an Anarch perspective, you know, if it was done incorrectly could be very controversial. However, there's nothing controversial about this book. And and here's the test, right? Um, if you guys uh, doubt it, I want you to get both these books, PDF or however you have it, and I want you to read it and make a character for V5 and Anarch, just using that Anarch book, right? <laughs> and see how close you get to the mark. And then just use the V20 Anarch book and see how close you get to the mark doing this. Right. Obviously, use your respective base books, but I want you to tell me how confident you would be playing a V20 Anarch versus a V5 Anarch. Because I myself... Like I said, I like the V5 Man Art book insofar as it gives me a clear idea from multiple perspectives of what anarchy is in, in 5th edition. Right, right. However, I don't have a clue as to what cool quirk thing I could possibly build to make me feel immersed in that 5th ed world. Yeah, and I think, uh, man, I, I hate to do this because I feel like it actually takes away from this book, but... Um, the truth of the matter is like, when you look at this book, this is a game book, right? I, I, I want to, I often want to do these reviews. Um, but it's just, it's like so close. It's like impossible not to address it as a comparison. So this book has a distinct advantage over a number of other Anarch books, not the least of which is the V5 book in that it is a, it's a game book. Yeah. It It is clearly there's clear chapters. Uh, if you want to go and you want to read the essays of the Anarchs, you have that option. You can go do that because it's in the table of contents. Right. <laughs> um, if you want to look at the disciplines, it's here. It has game material in it. Um, but uh, I did something, too, yesterday, which uh, I grabbed my revised Anarch book because mm-hmm. I let I want to compare it more to that. To me, it is set up in a very similar fashion to that book. However, it's a shorter book. It's a smaller book, and it's a more streamlined book. My problem with the the revised Anarch book, and I think a lot of people will have this cr- uh, critique of it too, is that it's 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 overly long. It's like too much stuff. It's too too much written word. I think both of us are people who enjoy a book that's easily referenced, right? right. And that's how you get reread value, right? We'll just right. call that like replay value. This is reread value. And that yeah. means that if I bought this book and I read it once, would it be a Herculean effort to get me to go back and try to find what page 
of obscure information I'm looking for it's on and how hard would it be? And that comes down to the organization of the book. It always will. Right. right? Whether it's whether it's the index or the table of contents. And both of those have to be sharp to do it. And this reads like a textbook. That's what we're telling you. The This V20 book is a textbook of how to be an anarch and all things anarch included. Thus, right. its reread value is 100% doable. Right. It's, it's More importantly, it's not just a book about anarchs. It is how to play an anarch. It's what does playing an anarch mean? What are the terms? What are the disciplines that they use? What, what, what are the strategies that they use? It's not just an in-game piece of material. And that's, that's very much what I felt like the V5 book was, was just like in-game uh, essays, right? Like something that your character would find. This isn't that. It has some of those elements, but it has enough out-of-game information to make this a worthwhile book for your table. So let's talk about some of the, the, um, the updates. Let's talk about like the, uh, the new concepts, uh, that we can find in here. Uh, for instance, the red question, uh, up until reading this book, I, I wasn't really familiar with that concept and what the red question is, is it's, um, you know, that's this question uh, that like it shows up, um, well, let me let me jump back one second. So a big piece of the theme of the Anarchs Unbound is Anarchs in the Age of Technology. Right. It's basically how do Anarchs operate via the Internet, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better way to put it. And to be fair, this direction was outlined and revised. Like what is the one thing the youth have over the old is the right. now. And technology right. is the now. And that's the fulcrum being used. Right. Why am I stuck in the um, today? I don't know. It's uh, it's the word of the day. It's the the twenty five sixty thousand dollar question. I don't <laughs> know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so the right question is why do you obey? Um, and that's a very common theme in this book. That red question. Um, but basically, what we're we're learning here is we're learning some of the strategies that the the new generation of uh, kindred are using to fight against the elders uh, and how the new generation are uh, operating within the confines of, of the digital age. And um, uh, so let me ask you just your opinion, Bob, um, with the information that's like kind of outlined in here, what are, what are your opinions on that? On like the, the different internet, like magic kind of internet things that are going on. If I could tell you uh, in an analogy, and we all know how great I am in analogies, but I feel I got a good one. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm reminded of high school when I think of this book, and this is why. Uh-huh. Because I see the Camarilla as the jock. Super jock, his whole life ahead of him, his family's well-to-do. It's all been mapped out. Just be the star athlete you are. Focus on that because the grades will come because we got an Ivy League school and everything's planned out for you. That's fine. There's no threat to it. Then you have what I like to call the bully, right? This is the Sabat guy. This is the, the malcontents, the people who... Just don't got shit going for them, so they're just taking it on everybody else. They got that uh-huh. rage that needs to go somewhere, and they're figuring out. He too's on the football team, though, right? Because they're because he loves practice time. To, you know, every every Ivy League he smashes, it's fantastic, right? right? Then there's an anarch, and the anarch is that friend that everybody likes, right? They're right in the middle most times, though, because that friend that everybody likes is also a ping pong for everybody. They have right. to go to every party and be very careful of what friends they make, or they're going to end up being, you know, you go to you go to the bully's house, 
and he doesn't like what you have to say because you don't want to step on a dog or something like that, then he's going to jack you up. But while you're there, it's because you're getting along to get along, and that's where the group party was that week. And then the same thing with the Ivy League. Be careful how you say and what you wear because they're all looking at you to see how you fit in. When deep down, you hate all of them. You can't right. stand that you can't be you, and it feels like you're screaming internally, and it's so loud in your ears, you don't understand why people don't help you. And then you find out there's a group of people like you. And then you think about it, well, how do we get back at it? And then it turns into one of those 80s shows that were always on TV, like Parker Lewis Can't Lose, was it was show, I believe, right? <laughs> right Where it's right. some massive way that you use the school to jack up people who are against you, that sort of thing. And they just revolt. I mean, bottom line, they just revolt. They get that angst. They attack the institutions that are that are against them. And that's right. what this book tells me clearly is what's going on. And they do that with technology. But I want to say this. As technologically awesome as they are, I keep seeing the Sabat coming in and beating the shit out of them to ashes. Right? <laughs> like, this is something that's going to happen. And what's funny is, when I had that thought, they get to a chapter about how to deal with the Sabat. They call it the fifth column. And right. they're like, you poor, they literally say, you poor bastard. You're stuck behind enemy lines, and every night, your first, second, and last choice has to be violence, because Sabat don't care what you have to say. They don't right. care about your negotiations. Either you are doing the vaniculum and you're in, and once you're there and they're death cult, that's that. Or you, you oppose them and kill them, and then they respect you for your strength, but guess what? More Sabat are coming. Get the hell out of there, right. is what right. they tell you. And I'm like, that's what won me over about this book. Um, and so uh, I feel like uh, also uh, I want to address the so, so a couple of concepts I'm going to throw at the wall and see how they stick with you. Uh, the Fang Book Ritual and the Blood Spot Program. What, what are your thoughts on those? What you're thinking about or talking about is the Digital Draculas, right? right. Digital Draculas is a group of just founded by a group of Tremere who were studying technomancy. And the camera as a whole was like, uh, it doesn't matter, whatever, we're fine until... Someone did something that embarrassed a rival, right? And then influenced being what it is. And they're like, you will stop doing that, right? Right. This, that's, that's done. And they were like, uh, no, nah, we're not listening. Right. Basically is what happened. And because they weren't considered a threat, suddenly they came out with alternate means of communication and right. won them not being part of a blood hunt, right? And how they did that was Fangbook, right? It was right. one of them. And it's Fangbook is a unique concept, right? It's ritual magic combined with technology. And obviously, technomancy is the fuel for it. It enables you to go on a mock, basically go on Facebook as normal, but anything you post that's been enchanted, right, by this ritual allows you to, uh, your, your photos, exactly what you have, will show up to only those who are able to read it with aspects. Right. It's, it's basically a, a magical, thaumaturgical sort of, um, uh, you can only see certain things if you're vampiric. You can only see certain things if you have auspects. Um, you know, it's it is kind of like I want to. Um, it's kind of like a it's like a magical MacGuffin, right? It's like how do vampires get on the internet and not get spotted, and uh, like how is the masquerade not torn asunder? But I, I I've I've heard some people um, be very critical of this. Uh, but, uh, and, and Bob being one of them, but kind of, I disagree. Um, here's why, 
Um, so a lot of people, the, the common, uh, criticism of this is so basically uh, you just magic is the reason why mortals can't find vampires, right? Magic is the reason why, uh, the masquerade isn't rent asunder because of shitty vampires posting things on the internet. And to that, I say, yes. (laughs) Why is that acceptable to me? Because I know logically I'm still playing a game. I'm still playing a game that exists in a fantasy version of our own world. It's not the real world. It's not Nate and Bob's world. It is the world of darkness. So I feel like to me, it is, it is easier to accept the logic that there's a magic vampire internet that mortals can't see than to be like, the NSA found all the vampires and decided that they're going to wage a secret war with them, but like kind of not. Well, I, I disagree on a couple fronts. Like the first yeah, one, yeah, first please. and foremost, having a magical reason, like a MacGuffin, like here's your 1000 gold piece diamond. We can resurrect anybody. Uh-huh. That This annoys <laughs> yeah. me the same way that does, because right. if I could think of a creative way that it's realistic that you're not, then you right, uh-huh. it's a reduction in population. You, you could balance that any way you want to do it. You could still mm-hmm. have a realistic methodology as to why, right? right? Look at the mythos where vampires came from. There's a ton of things where they wouldn't appear in photos, right? Right. Can't cross running water. All, the, all that stuff that you put as flaws in a book that can be optional to take, make one of them real. You did in Requiem, right. and it worked awesome. It made Requiem more visceral. Something that was like, oh, man, you're really something mythological here. Versus as a saying, side note, as a side note, there's actually one of those that is a power in this book, but it's kind of a high level power. And right, but why is it right? You would rather make a fang book to make to make right, a cool right. group of anarchs that are able to do it than you would just give it to all vampires so that they could still exist in a society. Now, why would you do that, Bob? It's simple. It's tied to your own mythology. You said it's a curse of Cain. It would right. be an easy out if mortals would just wipe out all vampires. It's no longer a curse then. That means it's coming right. to an end, whether you're forgiven or not, which would, would ruin the point of the curse, right? If that's what it was. And it would answer that question. Well, you can't answer the question because the whole line is over. So you got to right. have a reason to do it. And I think this was a cheap pop out to make digital Dracula's a relevant thing. And that's because the internet's here. You combine the two and you say, this is why we have it. And I was like, okay, right. cool. I get why you did it. But storytelling a game of players in it, Right. Right. Sorry, sorry. Storytelling game. Of, no, no. Storytelling game of players in it. I sat there and said, "Okay, cool. Um, let's use it. Let's see what it's like. Does it damage anything? Nah. Does it add stuff to it? Kind of. You know, it, it still gives people the ability to use the the, the not Shrek net. Is how right. I saw it. You can't use the old oh, Shrek net because it's old, right? But you right. can use the not Shrek net now and use Fang Book and what Sh- have you. Shrek net two point Right. Just what just, up? What up? Yeah. So um, here's the thing. Um, to here's, here's my perspective on it as a storyteller. Um, if I can avoid using internet based themes and, um, devices in my game, I do, uh, it's exceedingly more difficult these days to do that. Um, but I have to weigh that with my story. And if I kind of have something that's like a, it's kind of a corny, cheesy version of like vampire Facebook. Uh, I, I, I'm not super against it. Um, however, I don't know that it's something that I would necessarily even like 
mentioned by name um, because like I do understand that like national security can be this like omnipotent omnipresent concept like we're being listened to right now but also like on, on a like night to night basis when when vampires are sending text messages to one another uh, I'm probably not gonna like drive my story by the NSA in intercepting their random text messages I'm just not like right. it's just to me it doesn't tell that good of a story and I feel like if you're if you want to tell the story of the anarchs using modern technology to take down the elders this is an all right device to use um, you know, if you, if you want to have Bobby Weatherbottom staked and hidden in a train car in a tunnel underneath the city of Chicago, that should be your right too. Yeah. And that's, and that's absolutely the right of everyone, but asking Bob's personal preference, I've already stated it, but I, but I, I will state why it's, it's because I'm tired of hearing that technology is this evil invasive thing that no matter what you do ends up on the internet, no matter what you've caused or what's gone on. Yeah. Look at your murder rates in reality. And why they're unsolved. That's because that is false. Every time someone does something does not end up on the internet. There are stupid people who do ignorant crimes. And then there are callous people who record that stuff instead of stop it from happening. And that's how it ends up on the internet. Now, this right. is this is commensurate with the threat to the onlookers. And you're doing your job. If a vampire is frenzying and ripping someone apart like an animal, there is nobody pulling out a camera phone to record that. Not a one. You might make a plot where a gonzo journalist, whatever, who's been in a war, war journalist, had the wherewithal and the willpower to see what that was. But that person becomes a hunter. What they don't think is that they can go and convince an entire government organization, vampires are real, check this out. Because vampires had systems in place to deal with that one-off crazy guy. Right. You know, give me the info and I'll go and kill that guy. I think it can be very hard from a game perspective to, um, you know, to, to, to like state that in your rules, like don't worry about these things unless that's the story you're going to tell. I feel like that's, that's something that a lot of individuals miss about this game. Funny They're en- always go ahead. Funny enough, that very point they did in the revised Anarch book, right. they talked about technology and how it could be right. used and not used. And they did vague. Right. What I'm doing, what I'm saying is you're hundred percent right. Because right. they put it in a book. Well, yeah. Let, let's be fair. This book exists because it's a V20 book. It was a Kickstarter. Fans demanded this. They demand, basically, they want the game creators to go, tell me exactly how you uh, are are um, going to introduce these concepts into your game. And so they go, all right, well, here's an idea the fucking Tremere because the Tremere have existed since the dawn of this game as that, like, we don't know how it works. Let's use the Tremere to manipulate it. They're the MacGuffin blood magic, right? (laughs) Blood magic. The Tremere exists because you can do anything with blood magic and go, it's a ritual, right? Like easy. How did they, how did they develop it? Well, we don't know, but somebody did it. Okay. To me, that's like, uh, that works within the confines of the game. I accept it. Let's well, no. move on. Because to Let's, me, it's not, it's not, go ahead. Just clarifying. Absolutely, it's in the book. It works in the book. In the material, it's there. I've used it. I, I'm using it in mm-hmm. my game. Because yeah, that's right. what that's what Anarch players want. That's what I right. give them. But at its whole, I also don't penalize people who don't have technomancy and all these rituals when they use the internet or when they try to do something, you know? You look right. out for that obvious. Right. And that's what this book teaches you. 
It says, here it is to use. You don't have to use it as use. In other words, it's on the spectrum of usage, right? We'll right. just call it that. Do with it what you will. Right. So the, this is a, the material as it is. Um, I do not believe in any way, shape or form. I read anything about this in the V5 book. Um, I don't believe that they kept any of this material um, with that update. Or if they did, they kind of were just like, uh, stay off the Internet. Well, well, in fact, the opposite, right? They said, right, stay off the internet because they dismantled everything Shretneck base. Right, that, That's right. what they did. They had to take it down because that's where the breaches came from. Right. So, so I feel like what this does is it puts you in a position to do one of two things. You can introduce uh, the second Inquisition with your V5 game, um, and you can take all of the material that's in Anarchs Unbound, and you can sort of burn it in a fire. You can throw it on the pyre and light it up. And that's the game that you're going to play. Or you can you can kind of follow the logical procession of V20 in that direction, where vampires have developed uh, magical ways of, of um, you know, avoiding detection from uh, forms of technology. Or you could kind of do a little bit of both. You could have a little crisis here and um, a leak there, and you could develop your second Inquisition sort of um, organically. Or if you don't want to use that, don't use it at all and stick with the V20 concepts. Because this is basically, this book, I believe, came out in 2014. So this is pretty much like today. You know, there's not a lot of difference between 2014 and today. Um, One thing that I would advise is, uh, you know, um, figure out a way to develop all of these functions to work with mobile devices. Cause they kind of stayed in there that like, Oh, we haven't figured that out yet. That's pretty much a necessity. No one's using the internet today on a computer, uh, except for me and Bob right now at this very second. And, um, and to help you out in, in here, they do, they do uh, have a snippet. It's not something you right. miss. Nate's not saying they don't, they don't give you a big detailed section. They tell right. you about all technology, smartphones and all that, how one could use them uh, because there's, there's apps and whatnot that they invent. Uh, that are that are usable as well. Like there's there's Fang Chat, right? So right. That is this right. obviously it's Snapchat. That's a that's an app based off the phone, and how you could use that for what you, you know what you want to do, but for vampires, and so on and so forth. There's a bunch, but you get the method, the mentality they're using. Make your own up, and it does the same thing. the uh, The one thing of advance that they have now, though, is that the they've made it to where any vampire that uses the internet and goes to certain sites uh, will get. Obviously, they could see all the vampiric information automatically because they're a vampire. If you're not a vampire, you just get 404 index. Right? right. It's just file not found all day. And again, what is this saying? MacGuffin, so you don't have your game riddled with hunters left and right. Right. And, and I think that that's the key here. And it's what I was really trying to emphasize is that um, if you're always looking for the most like real world explanation for something, you're kind of losing sight of the fact that this is a game that takes place in a world where there are vampires and ghosts. And once there was a guy named Kane who spawned all vampires, like it's a leap of logic for our world because we don't live in that world, but this is a fantasy <laughs> world. It is a different world. So, you know, keep that in mind. Everyone's always, um, I, I, I'm, I'm making a broad general generalization here. I'm not, not everyone, but a lot of people that I see that talk about this game, they're always like, well, that doesn't make sense in a real world context. And I'm like, of course it doesn't because you're playing a game about fucking vampires. Can we move on? 
And, I, and I'm that guy that gets detailed right with you. If it doesn't make sense in a real world sense, I like to follow your logical pathing as to why not. Because odds are, if you can figure out why it doesn't work, you can figure out why it would. And that's, right. and, that's, and, and that's, that's the key, right? If it doesn't make sense for your world, write something that does. And I don't mean like you got to get out your pencil and your paper and write a new book. I mean, tell the story in your world that makes sense for you. You know, there's a lot of this stuff that I don't, I, I don't use, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell stories centered around Fang book or blood spot. Um, but anyways, that's going to be like the one piece of like contention in this book yeah. where people are going to like sit and debate the other stuff. I feel like, um, this this I'm going to make a statement here and you don't have to agree with me, but this so far is my absolute favorite Anarch book. Um, I, I, I feel like the Anarch cookbook holds like that place of like, oh, it's a classic, you know, introduction to the Anarchs from way back. So I'm nostalgic cheating. about that book. Huh? I think you're cheating. How am I, che- I'm just how gonna am say I cheating? That, well, because we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Right. That's how right. it works. The very statement means that the pioneers before we advanced on their shoulders yeah. on the success. Yeah, yeah, right. And right. I know what you're going to say. I can hear it already. If that's the case, what happened to Fifth Act? No, yeah, 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 right, 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 right. But we got a, but we got a, we got a clip there, right? Because this is right, still right. Not being non Fifth Ed, This is the most advanced, right. most updated book for sure. And and, for so, sure. and like, the, I don't know how anybody could disagree with you. Is right. what it is. I mean, in, in, in the classic, in the classic sense of Vampire the Masquerade, um, barring V five. If I'm sitting down at the table to run a game and people are going to be making Anarchs, this is the book that I want to have at my table. Um, but I think it was done by design, right? Like these are the people involved, you know, the Justin Achilles, etc. These are people that have a long term knowledge of this game. And it's that, you know, we talked to him about like the development of V20. Like it, it's a it's a work of of passion, right? Yep. So. Like that, that to me is very apparent. Um, and I have that revised Anarch book and I love it, but it's just kind of long winded. And I think this one is like, it's chopped down to the point where it's a small enough book to digest quickly. And it's a big enough book that you want to have at your table. So people can use it as reference with the new backgrounds, the new abilities, the disciplines and merits and flaws. I think all of those things are good. I think it, it is the best up to this date that you could have. And I think all the V20 books are holding to that mark so far that we've reviewed. They're just, they're just, how are they not? Right. Like you said, fans were listened to labor of love for the writers. Perfect storm is what we're talking about that you have. And to move on, uh, the red question in and of itself, right? We mentioned it before. What is that? Why is it feared? Because the red question is, is a rise, right? It's a group of anarchs, malcontents that refuse to let go of the internet as a medium of communication for them. And they're going to use it to get, results right because communication is the life's blood of any movement and because right. of that instead of sending out a manifesto via snail mail and on paper digitally is going to be lightning fast and so they do that and the red question what it is it's i believe it's uh why do you obey yeah is what it is and they sent and, and that's just something they hammer out and throughout their their documentation uh, that they have for it they ask it multiple times but they do it in bold letters red letters right so when mm-hmm. the when the spin doctors of the Camarilla and the think tanks that and, that exist in the Sabatin Camarilla both get a hold of it, they see what's going on. This is a recruitment right. strategy to destabilize both organizations to better strengthen a new movement. Because what do we know that failed? It is the movement that Jeremy McNeil had. No, decentralized leadership. No leadership and we'll be fine. 
No, you'll be stagnant is what you're going to be. And it's going to be rife with violence. And uh, I forget the I believe it was aristocracy or aris, I forget the term they use in here. Basically, there's a, there's a cool theme that they do in this uh, book where they tell you all the different leadership methods that the anarchists have used, right? right. That's where I got fifth column from. That's where the decentralized... Right. The, the commune, right. Yeah, aristocracy. I, I'm, it upsets me. I remember that word, but something like that in there. And it highlights why it didn't work, you know? And that's because when I tell you that no one's in charge, I told you might makes right. That's what I really said. Right, right. And so... when Well, you, and uh, I'll... Uh, real quick, though, I just want to make sure um, that we're on the same page here. Um, the the according to the V twenty uh, um, like the canon, um, like the anarch free states still exist. Yes, but and Jeremy Jeremy McNeil and Salvador Garcia and that whole coterie they're still in L A. Uh, but um, basically, it's saying that all the crazy shit that happened with Gehenna just didn't happen, right? We're still right. we're still in a in a in a in an environment where uh, there's turmoil, there's gang warfare. It's basically um, like what we've sort of laid out in our game, right. where it's like fifes sort of fighting over resources and geography and gangs fighting, and you know, there's no central leadership, which it's like. Um, it, it presents its own sets of failures because there isn't a form of centralized leadership, but also it's an anarch free state. So, you know, how do you impose leadership like that whole debate? And it also talks about how you have uh, in, in different forms, right? Because I used to think there was the anarch free states or there was individuals right. trying to make their baronies work, except they right. except they highlight in here. What if there's an abarian at all? What if it's a cult? Right. What if it's literally a cult? Like you go and how cool of a game opportunity is that? You go to visit Anaheim and you're in the free states and you realize, oh man, it's a CrossFit cult, <laughs> right, right? right? Like right. they 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 know that you're not part of this gang because you're not showing up at four a.m. to brave the sun and its impressive weaknesses to you to to do like an hour and a half of vigorous cardio or insane right. crazy push up stuff. I'm just picking on CrossFit cults because a friend of mine is actually has a phobia of them and it still cracks me up time to time. But it fits, right? Uh, any cult, really. Like, what? It, let's be serious. And so what if it's a cannibal cult that's out there? Right. Vampires who have conspicuous consumption, right? Who band together as a gang and they're out here. And if you don't have it, you can't belong. In fact, you're not on the menu because you showed up. Weird, right? Um, then they talk about right. uh, the dynasty. The dynasty method also blew my mind. Real quick, I think you were talking about anocracies. Yes, anocracy was the term um, for the decentralized. But the yep. the dynasty, I thought, was a cool idea, too. That's where, you know, Nate and Bob have a podcast, and it's awesome, and all these other podcasts spawn out from it. But Nate and Bob die in a car wreck. and, right. and who takes our place. And, right. and Rachel stands up to fill in the shoes because she's with Nate, loves Nate, and has a strong idea how Nate believes. Rachel and Jeff. You know. Right. And then Jeff is a step in too. And they're trying to hold it down and everybody has sympathy for them. So that still holds to the idea, but they're in the shadow of what came before. And that's exactly how they're talking about the set up a dynasty. What are they saying though? They're telling you that you may not have used anarchs before because you only saw them as, as peanut butter and jelly. Right. You only saw them as like Camarilla light. Right. And you could, you could change it up. You could change it up. Their intent was not to pigeon them as not unique. In fact, it was to make it was to leave it open for you to make them unique. But they, right. I think, they identified 
by saying that we see the weakness that you're just not seeing that you have the ability to, to make it whatever you want. So let's give you some ideas to do it. And if you're me, it broadened my horizons about my bigotry to anarchs. Right. It, it gives you more power to kind of like, um, you know, really feel the room, you know, like play to different concepts and, and even to like take, you know, your Camarilla coterie and put them in a situation where they have this concept of what an anarch is and they're shown some other, you know, weird like one of my favorite uh, coteries that we've used in our Los Angeles game is the 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 surfer commune. It's and it's just like five anarchs who are just like nobody's in charge because it's kind of like a pecking order, and just anybody that comes to their beach gets the shit kicked out of them and sent packing. And there's no leadership there. How do you fight that? How does the Camarilla come in and uh, hope to take that? Like you took the territory. Well, great. All we care about is surfing in the beach. So <laughs> don't come to the beach and don't get fucked up. Right. Like, okay. How shores, is that? A for- right. How is that a form of, of politics? It's their own, right? It's a, it's, it's a commune. It's what it is. It's, it's a gang that will fuck you up. If you come to their town, <laughs> <Here's> nothing, <laughs> that's it. There's nothing that blew my mind. I asked this years ago. Where I uh-huh. mocked the the OG anarchs, right? Because right. you know, oh, you guys became the Sabbat, and then you're the original anarchs who agreed to signing. Yeah, I, okay, cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so the Sabbat's the way to go, and you guys are weak sauce. And uh, I called the Sabbat the original anarchs, and then this book goes, "You're wrong, Bob," <laughs> because there exist a few anarchs who, who were OG anarchs who didn't go Sabbat that still know how to do the vaniculum. Right. Imagine an anarch game gang that does the vaniculum right right that sabbat's just a political title an ideology right exactly but, the, but exactly. a right is a right a ritual is a ritual and if it worked for them it'll work for you you just gotta know it and i was like man damn i'm stupid <laughs> i could i could have been using that since shit you know because it's it's a great right. idea it's a real good idea right well it's it's certainly it's a it's a religious thing that was adopted by the sabbat and sort of it was made their own but like you know it's like the concept of the sheriff i mean yeah it's a camarilla concept but is it like 100 does it is it only theirs like are they the only ones that can have a dude who's like don't fuck up in this domain or you're getting your skull cracked like <laughs> you know not to be overly vulgar but it's you know some concepts are a little bit more than just like one group of individuals using them. So well, that'll motivate me. I mean, if you came at me and said, Oh, you mess up again. That's not only another demerit during your 90 day review. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about next steps, right? Watch yourself, young anarch. Uh, sure. <laughs> oh, what, okay. Whatever. All right. Hey, Hey, I'm the enforcer here. That's cool. I'm a yeah, good job. <laughs> you can do ruin my credit. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. You know, crack my skull right. in though. Uh, I'm going to scatter your ashes about the room. Uh, okay. I maybe need to have a little chat with you. And all right, cool. And a little ex nanny ombre, as it said. But uh, what, what are the cool things are in here? They talk about traditions from an anarchist perspective. And from right. pretty much it's all what you expect, right? Yeah, we agree to the masquerade. Eh, fuck off about domain. Eat me about progeny and do what I want. But then they get into hospitality. And I love that they, they did this. A lot of people forget this. That... Uh-huh hospitality was always meant that when I come to your domain, now you seek me out, I seek you out to get all the bullshit out of the way. 
I come right. and bend a knee and tell you why I'm here. And if I accept you being here, I give you leeway to not only right. set up where you will, but I may put you up until you're able to find a haven. Right. To adapt. The, the old ways are, are obligatory. Uh, right. The hospitality is obligatory. And it's, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, man, I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I'm reading these, these books, uh, like you do and getting inspired every time I'm like, oh, that, that, that would be a cool thing easily. to put in my game. That would be a cool thing for this, you know, even from not even necessarily an anarch game, but just like that prince who like has the old way, like, um, and I, you know, I, I was thinking about it even from like a LARP perspective, like how cool would it be to be a prince who's like dedicated to this old form of hospitality, who acknowledges everyone who comes to the city because he's obliged to be hospitable. Right. Right. Like he, you know, he, I, and I'm just like, oh, this is cool. I, uh, can I tell you one other thing that I really appreciated about this book yeah. that makes me feel good every time they put it in a book when they talk about the geographic locations uh, dedicated to the anarch cause. Um, reading about Madison, Wisconsin, I was like, what the fuck is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I really, I like those, those little spots and, and, you know, it's what we needed from revised to this V20 is a little bit more information of like what the world of darkness looks like in a modern context what places are anarch dominated what places are not what places is there an ongoing struggle and you know reading about boston and like how the boston anarchs are essentially almost camarilla and like you know that going back to like um you know dark colony and like thinking of those updates as as the game changes like that was really informative and i really appreciated it um, that's no doubt. I mean, if when they go over the geographics of different areas, they they go they go deep. You know, it tells you right. not just one or two of your favorite. It goes to goes to several, and it goes worldwide. You know, one of the things they did smart in this book, above all else, is that they talk about the Russian anarchy, right? What mm -hmm. that meant, how uh, communism uh, shaped the mortals' communism shaped the thoughts of anarchy worldwide. How vampires in Russia with the Bruja councils they formed. And our council started forming everywhere as they almost found a new Carthage, right? But then this right. book adds in there, that all gets shut down and nobody knows why. People vanished. Those, right. those people disappeared. <laughs> we can't get, yeah. we don't know what goes on. And then all they see is that the mortals come out with, uh, hey, democracy's cool. Right. Hey, everybody, uh, let's do let's it. Flip the switch. It's time for democracy. And, and you're wondering <laughs> why. And they tell you in the book why. What they still include Baba Yaga and her curtain of death for all the mythology that's there. That's still there. That's not just a necessarily a quasi Gehenna thing, but she's still up and running is what it's saying at this point. Like that just right, started. Right. And we're not at a Gehenna cycle rate yet, if ever, because it's V20. So right. uh, that's that's what they're doing. But why, why it's there and why I enjoy it so much is because they don't do it from the perspective of beware ancient Nosferatu and whatever. They're like, man, sucks to be in Russia. Meanwhile, yeah, we just don't go right. <laughs> Meanwhile, where we're at, let's use these anarch principles they gave us and let's try to let's try to be something of it. Uh, does it work? And they, they flat out say that's up to the individual anarchs, right, as right. it ever is. And back to our point where all this started, that's why the red question is so huge. It has the fastest medium to get a hold of multiple anarchs almost at the, pretty much at the same time. And those anarchs that read it are able to formulate, coordinate, and organize, which is huge when you're trying to have a successful movement. It, otherwise, right. don't have a movement, you just have an opinion. Right. And that's the right. and that's the thing this book kind of hammers home. 
And uh, yep, absolutely. And, and when you uh, are looking at the clan specific as well, they have that here too. I want to let everybody rest at ease. If you're like, well, what does a Bruja do about it? What about the Torador? Are there Asamine Anarchs? Are there Lissambra? Yeah, absolutely. They have a fruit. It's called post post clan. I believe it was what they referred to it. Post clan. Yeah, yeah. Like they they talk about uh, you know the Anarchs like standing up and going, you know, um, uh, we're all clanless now. Right. Because like, you know, it's the, the remove yourself from those old uh, those old um, fights that, you you know, clan and, and sect. So, yeah, they, they go into all that stuff, too. Um, talking about like the different clans and like, you know, sort of removing themselves. Um, one thing that I do find disappointing uh, about V20 um, is that apparently gargoyles are still a thing. You know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like <laughs> gargoyles are all right. Gargoyles are all right. They 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 can be fun. It's just not really, um, it's not really my thing. You know, everybody's got that one clan or one bloodline where they're like, nah, I don't really jibe to that. But I, you know, I've used them in my games too. So gargoyles are cooler than true bruja. Oh right? yeah, like right? hundreds um, and hundreds of times cooler. Um, than true that bruja. that I'll say, blood brothers are way cooler than true bruja. But they have, yeah, they have that same yeah. mystique, right? Like, I always say this. Like, who? Right. I've never had a chance to play a Blood Brother. But I, I, I might try, right, with a bunch of like-minded individuals. Yeah, It'd be interesting. It'd be very difficult, and um, it would probably require a great deal of homework before game time. But, yeah, I've never been able to, like, play a Blood, Bro- Blood Brother as a player. I don't know if that's really even, like, a functional thing you could do. Well, I wanted to do it because I have a unique idea. Uh, you know, how does a blood brother with sanguinous and her ability to swap limbs and health level damage and all the uniqueness? Why not throw a gender bending element into that too? What part? Yeah, what I mean, parts do you wake up with today? Right. <laughs> I just think as fun right. as humorous as it is, I'm like going uh, that would be a real drawback, but one you wouldn't care about. And what's the challenge there to play the indifference? Right, because right. it's almost like you're one entity anyway. I've off the res and i apologize i'll, I'll totally I'll, I'll come I'll, how dare you i'll come back i'm sorry um and, and our gargoyle would be you. cool if they were the gargoyles from the cartoon show i think uh a a a coterie of gargoyles um would be a fun thing to include um so yeah there i mean there's gargoyles in in the game in like canon in in written like um montreal by night is a good example like um where there are good usages of of gargoyles um, I believe is the name. uh yeah and uh i think that you can you can definitely include them they're they're not overly long like you know they're not they're not focused on to any great deal i, I don't necessarily think that they like deserve their own clan book or anything but um yeah at least at least there's not there's not true brew uh, i don't Listen, I think gargoyles are great. It allows me a chance to have the challenge of making an in-depth character that doesn't remember their background at the point of embrace, putting stats in the sheet that I could portray and be that gargoyle trying to figure out what I am. And, you know, because I don't have the memories of humanity to worry about. I just have this weird guilt as I, as I try to go through and live and fulfill the wishes of a master. Wait, I don't no longer have a master as, as this either. What do I do? Where do I go? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm alone yeah. in the world. And so I right. got to basically incredible well, uh, Hulk thumb hitchhike my way through domains <laughs> looking, do, 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 do. looking for people to belong to as I fang people from above. No, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, let, let's let's be real. Uh, the gargoyles are pretty cool, and they really can fit quite well into an anarch concept because they are kind of, um, you know, they they were they were created to serve, and when they get free, you know, they're they can find a home in the anarch movement. So. Mm-hmm. For Rome. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like one of my favorite characters, right? Like, uh, you know, and and that that's that's the truth of it. Like, gargoyles are kind of. I don't have a problem with gargoyles. Let me just let me just share something with our listeners. I don't have a problem with gargoyles. I often have a problem with people that want to play gargoyles because gargoyles are kind of combat monsters, and rightly so. They should be. They were made to defend the Tremere, but. Anyone who's played this game long enough knows certain things attract uh, certain people are attracted by certain things. Let's just say that <laughs> like there's a certain anyways, this is totally has nothing to do with the book. Gargoyles are mentioned in here moving right along. Uh, we also have the inclusion of like the Anarch Manifesto, the Red Question. There's a whole chapter of of this material that's included as well. So you can kind of get a feel for like the actual history of the Anarchs and like the actual like important works of the Anarch revolutionaries um, to break them, to break people free of the camera. And, and with enough of perspective in this book to actually run a campaign, if you wanted to do it from the start of the Anarch revolution right. on and with a great guideline and pacing to make it your, your own experience all the way up to the modern. This is a fan. This is an A plus book. Right, right. Uh, I completely agree. I think that this book, uh, it updates the material to the modern times, whether or not you agree with it. I think that's irrelevant. Um, it has, um, it is a well-written, well-organized book, and it's got every piece of material that you're going to want from a game book. It's got your characters, your pre-made characters. It's got um, enough crunch and power uh, to attract people who, you know, want some new disciplines, some new backgrounds. Um it's got all the story elements. It's got the, uh, you know, basically like Bob said, I, I think that this is an A plus book and I feel like this is, uh, this is uh, where, where it, this is the natural conclusion of where revised would have went. Um, if we hadn't, you know, hurtled our, ourselves headlong into Gehenna, it seems like a logical, um, a, a logical conclusion. And I think that so, uh, that fans are going to love the 50-page insert for the true Bruja in the Anarch faction uh, that they put in here, provided <laughs> the Temporis didn't create a paradox backlash that just removed it completely from the book. And and if and if it hasn't done that, then you're going to enjoy that section. <laughs> I don't know what Bob is talking about at all. Um, I've not read that part of the book. I skipped over it. It said true Bruja. In fact, basically, I've just started skipping over anything that says Bruja. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So I don't know where the hell we're going with that, but um, let's try to get back on the rails. So um, next week we will be uh, reviewing Rites of Blood um, and Rites of Blood is uh, essentially an updated look at thaumaturgy uh, for Vampire the Masquerade. Um, it is a book I'm pretty familiar with um, and Bob is pretty familiar with because we've been playing a well. Um, I, I'm not an active participant any longer, but, um, 
been playing a Tremere game for a hot minute, <laughs> and frequently we've had to open this book and go, wait a minute, how do I do that again? So, um, Rites of Blood, um, for good or for ill, we will be reviewing next week. Anything else, Bob? Not at all, I mean. All right, cool. Well, um, thank you guys for listening, and uh, let us know what your thoughts are on Anarchs Unbound, um, and uh, you know, leave a comment on our website, or hit us up on our Discord, or do any of those crazy internet things, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Uh, until next week, I am Nathan. And for all my Time Lords out there, I am Bob. Don't blink. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you enjoyed the podcast you just listened to, think about supporting us. For more podcasts, art, video, and gaming, go to utilitymuffinlabs.com. Follow our podcast on Twitter at 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook under Utility Muffin Labs name, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thank you again for your support. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.